it's great to be together today, and good to see all of you here. I love the fellowship break. It's like nobody wants to break from the fellowship break. We want that to be, we're going to, one time we're going to do that. We're just going to make that the whole service and just take communion at the end. And uh, that would mix it up a little bit here. But today is our last week of our Greater Love series. And uh, we have uh, had an amazing probably eight weeks here of really talking about how we can grow in our love and our heart for each other and for those in need. And uh, it has been uh, an amazing time. You may be looking for Jake and Kelsey here. They are at a, uh, a retreat for the youth and family leaders from all around the churches in L.A. If you're visiting with us, there's about 30, 30 to 40 meetings similar to this all around the greater Southern California area there. So they're up in Oxnard, uh, getting trained and getting inspired for our young, our young people, which is awesome. Uh, yesterday we had an amazing event here. We had a bap- two baptisms. Armando and Alicia Guzman were baptized. And where are they? We have them. There they are. Aha. Amen. What an amazing day uh, to see them uh, put on Jesus as Lord. And their family knows how to do a party. There was probably 60 people there. There was enough food for an army that when we were done eating, you didn't even know that we ate. (laughs) There was more food left than we ate. And it was just an amazing time. So uh, we're all hoping that many more people in their family get baptized because we had a great party. Uh, over there, and for them spiritually too. Uh, but uh, what, a, what a great uh, celebration there. Today is called For Richer, For Poorer. And uh, if you're married, you said something to this effect in your wedding vows, for, for better, for worse, sickness and health, good times and bad, richer and poorer, and uh, till death parts me from you. And so we're going to talk about for richer, for poorer today. We're going to look at a rich man and a poor man. And see uh, what happened uh, in the story that Jesus tells. But this has been an amazing few months here for a lot of us. I just put a slide together of some of the places that we've been in the past uh, three months. Uh, We've been to the Galilee Center. We've been to the narrow door packing and serving food, driving it around to different people in need. We brought stuff for the food pantry here at St. John's, which they have every week. You can always do that. Uh, We've served under the name of Hope Worldwide. We've served under the name of Desert City's Church of Christ. We've served under just our names and our family groups. Uh, Been to the Street Life Project a number of times. Uh, The Coachella Valley Rescue Mission, the Fine Food Bank, and the Boys Clubs of Coachella Valley, which is Indio, Coachella... Mecca and La Quinta and just we've been everywhere. It has been a mad search. I've I've been to more places in the past three months than I have in the previous four years combined. You know, because God put it on our hearts that, hey, we need to do more for the poor and needy. We need to be out there. It's not just for them. It's for us. And our dreams are having an impact. I don't know this week if you heard, but uh there was a $100,000 donor for the Galilee Center that pulled out, pulled, a, pulled their support away for political reasons. 
And it was pretty alarming, and I felt like, wait, this is my organization. You know, this, these are our people. You know, I had them to our heroes service back in September, and I felt like, hey, this is, these are my people that are being uh, uh, taken $100,000 away from. And so, you know, I called them up on the phone, and, and they have great spirits, and I started a GoFundMe that I raised it a whole $100.00 cost them 25000 a month, and I got $100 going. And it was all my $100, so. Uh, but I just felt like, hey, I'm not going to do nothing. Uh, I was hoping it would take off a little bit more than that. But, but uh, you know, I do believe that we need to be and will be a, a prominent part of the Valley and already have been in so many ways Beyond even the ones that I've mentioned, you guys have been in so many different places. It's kind of, uh, it's going out. And I believe God has created us to do good works in his name so that people will praise him and give glory to him. He's the one that's given us the, the passion and the compassion and the ability to love. And so we want to give all glory to him. This is not some marketing event for us. Really, we want to be like Christ. And this is an area that we need to, I need to grow in, and hopefully we will continue to grow uh, in this. So I'm getting to the conclusion of my lesson at the beginning. All right, it's kind of like guy speak, sometimes known as, or just if, you, if you're, who likes the bottom line first? Just tell me what you want, tell me the bottom line, and then, I'll, then you can tell me all the details you want. Okay, here we go. There it is. How will I love my neighbor? Is our 10-week campaign, is it going to die today or is it going to live on in our church, in our community, in your life, in my life? Is it just a nice little intro to the year or will there be real change? I read a book on the poor. I got a couple more to read. You know, is it just going to be our family groups? Maybe we'll go out every month to serve. Maybe we'll have weekly actions, a daily, hopefully we'll have a daily concern and lifestyle change. That it'll be a conviction like eating. Anybody forget to eat this week? That's because we have a conviction. If I don't eat, I'm not happy. I'm not, I'm hangry. I pray that this can be your conviction that I will serve those around me or I'm not happy. That's my desire. I know personally for me, a few things stood out. Mentoring turned out to be my thing. The thing that I get most excited about. And so I've, I kind of pick somebody in the church and somebody outside the church that these are my guys and I, I'm going to be there for them. You know, as far as being a mentor, going to help them out with their life and really pray for them. You know, because that's something that I'm passionate about. For whatever reason, people pulled over on the side of the road. I'm still going to stop. I realized I got to leave like 15 minutes earlier in my day because usually I'm running like right on time or a couple minutes early, a couple minutes late. So I'm, you know, I don't have time. I need to give myself some more time so that I can be a good neighbor and stop. You know, I can be a James Hammond and I'm 15 minutes early so I can stop and help or Gabe. Gabe's always early too. I want to be like that. Uh, and then also to come up with 10 staple programs for our church. 
Ten things that really match who we are, who they are. We like each other. There's a big need and we're able to serve that. So that's kind of my goal. But my challenge for you and question is, how will you love your neighbor? You know, what fits with who you are? What gets you excited? Where is God leading you? How can you make a difference in your day-to-day life? And so you can either listen to the rest of the sermon or you can just think about that for the next few minutes uh, until we take communion. Uh, but let's start off with a prayer and then we'll, we'll get going. Uh, Father, we do thank you so much for this time. Thank you for these few minutes that we get into your word. God, I pray you inspire us. Help us to love like Jesus. God, help us to draw near to you because without you, we wouldn't be able to do anything. God, be with me and get me out of the way these next few minutes that you can really speak. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And in everything, I pray that for you and for me that the goal is to be like Jesus. It's not about checking off a box. It's not about serving more. It's not about doing a good deed. It's really about being like Christ. And if that's your desire, that's where he wants you to be. That is the target of all of our lives. That's the narrow path. I went ahead on me here. The path of love, the path of compassion, the path of sacrifice. Maybe it wants to be on this page. (laughs) That is not the path of Jesus, probably, driving that car. But does God want you to be rich? Does God want me to be poor? I don't know if he wants you to be rich. Or he wants you to be poor. I do know that he wants you to be like Jesus. I do know that he wants us to be rich in faith and rich in good deeds. I know that some of the richest people in the Bible were also some of the most spiritual. Job was the richest person in his part of the world. Solomon was the richest person in the world. And turned out to be one of, you know, David was very rich as well. Abraham, who we're going to be looking at as part of our story today, was so rich he had to move because his, his empire was growing so big. So really, I don't know if God wants us to be rich or poor, but I do know that he wants us to be on a narrow road. And based on that, most rich people will not make it to heaven. And most poor people will not make it to heaven either. It's not a wide road, it's a narrow road. So whether you're rich, whether you're poor, it's still a narrow road. That's the road that we need to be on. And I'm going to start, as we get going here, I have a video of a homeless person giving to, giving, trying to give money to somebody who was passing by. Wait, wait, sir, sir. What? I'm just trying to help you out today. I don't need help. Mate, just off it. I know you're. I know you're in a rush. Oh, I don't have any. Time. No, no, no. I'm not trying to ask for cash. I'm trying to give you cash. No, keep it. Look, you need it. I'm broke as it is, and the only way for me to feel rich in this world is by giving what I can. So here you go. No, don't do that. Get yourself breakfast. I want to lend a helping hand. You know what? I I have a few dollars. Why don't you take more and make me feel rich for the day? Thank you. Have a good day. Go get breakfast. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. 
I want to give this back to you, but I want to thank you so much for that. You're on camera right now, and I just want to thank you. Um, I'm not trying to see who would give me your money or who would not, but I'm just showing that the only thing we have in this world is to give to others. So thank you so much for that kind act. Amen. You never know what you're going to do by the little things that you decide to do. You don't know whose prayer you're answering, how you're going to make somebody's day. Maybe there's somebody that's asking God for a sign or they're going to take their own life. And because you stepped in, they didn't. Maybe they're, they're thinking, man, this world is a terrible place. There's no good people left. And maybe you show up at just that time and people go, well, maybe. Maybe this world isn't, isn't so bad after all. Maybe there are a few people left. I pray that whatever we do, that we can brighten people's day in that way. Turn over to Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to start reading our story for the day. It says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone raises from the dead. Wow. An amazing story about a rich man and a poor man. This was the only, you know, when we look at the rich man here, he lived in luxury. And Lazarus had to be carried to the gate. He couldn't even physically walk to the gate. He had to be carried to this gate to be laid before him. My first point is, poor in life, rich in faith. Rich in life, poor in faith. That describes these two men. One man, it says, he lived in luxury every day. And the word luxury there is the word euphoreno, which where we get the word euphoria. And it's the same word that describes the party when the prodigal son comes home. That they were partying in that way, living in luxury and celebrating. So every day, that was his life. Sounds pretty 
good, right? Think, man, that'd be great. You could have a party every single day where most of the Israelites had a meal like that maybe two or three times a year on special occasions. But his life was every day a party. Lazarus here, he's the only person in all of Jesus' parables that has a name. In every other parable, there's no name, that specific name that's given, although Jesus does target his parables sometimes, so I wonder if there are people there that he was talking to them, but he didn't actually say their name. But here's Lazarus. Some people think that maybe this is a real story, that this isn't a parable. That's why he uses a specific name. Maybe, that he, maybe this was a real story, I don't know. The term Lazarus is Latin from the Hebrew word Eleazar, which means God is my help. And so here's a guy laying at the gate. His name is God is my help. And if anybody knows what that is like, it would be him. Laying out there, not able to move, not able to get around, having no money, and you're just there, and God is your only help. Talk about a prayer life. And I'm sure he was relying on God like never before for maybe a meal, maybe for a kind word. It says that when the poor man died, he went straight to heaven, but it doesn't mention his burial. Maybe he was so poor he couldn't even have a funeral. But the other man lived in wealth. They knew each other at least enough to know who each other's names are. Yeah, that's Lazarus. He's the guy that's outside my gate. You know, you don't know if they have a more of a close relationship. But he knew his name. And back in the day, and kind of what Jesus is getting at here is, they had a belief that if you were rich, you were also righteous. And you were also blessed by God. So riches, righteousness, and blessing all went together in the Jewish mind of the day. And so if you were poor... That meant that you were in sin, and you were unrighteous, and you were cursed by God. And you see where I'm going with that. So if you were poor, then you deserve it. And if I'm rich, then I deserve it. Then I'm better than you because of my moral compass. And that was the spirit of the day, and that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. That's kind of what we saw in the video, that the guy got mad at the homeless guy trying to give him money. There was a few other people that got even more mad than that because they took it as an offense. And Jesus said, no, we're all the same. And actually, the poor man in this story turned out to be better than the other guy. What do we learn here in this story? The the rich man, it says, when he went to... Hades here, he was still concerned about himself. He's still worried about how he feels, how he's in agony, how he needs someone to come help him out. I don't know if he thought of Lazarus as a servant in heaven, that he's a servant. He's supposed to bring me some water for my tongue because I'm in agony here. Imagine what kind of father he was. What kind of example was this, your dad, that blew off the guy every single day? 
and taught you that you're better than people because you're rich. I mean, what kind of a husband? How, how compassionate of a husband do you think this guy was? Where he, he wasn't moved. It didn't seem like he had a lot of stress in his life. I mean, he's partying every day. But he wasn't moved by people around him. You know, how about a friend? All he needed to do in his life, based on this parable, is make one friend. Somebody lower than you, in your mind. Someone outside of your circles that gets you out of your comfort zone. That's all he needed to do. Make one friend, a guy named Lazarus, he had him right there. He could have visited him. He could have brought him sandwiches. He could have prayed with him. I mean, it was endless opportunities there. Just to practice the golden rule. You know, we also learn a few things that uh, there is a place and it's not a real good place if you're not right with God. Jesus said here that hell's real. That's not a real popular thing today. You could take a poll and most people won't believe in hell. But I don't think Jesus is really worried about that. He's not going to ask us if it's real. He's telling us it's real. Imagine this rich man, he gets to the end of his life, he thinks, man, I am blessed, God has just blessed me so much, I am amazing, and I don't get in. And I go suffer, because I, I didn't love people, because I didn't care about my fellow Israelite. You know, it's amazing... Uh, you know, another small thing here, there's no such thing as purgatory. Right? He says, if you're here, you're stuck here. If you're there, you're stuck there. You can't go back and forth. It's just there's two spots. You know, that's kind of a small point. But our concern for others could have big implications. Our hard-heartedness could have eternal implications. That helps me to make this a conviction, not just a passing thing. Because God is serious about our hearts and our love for others. But it got me thinking, like, how was this guy's times with God? If you notice here, the, 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 the person, the authority in the story is Abraham, not Jesus. So the implication is that this person doesn't accept Jesus. He, he doesn't believe in Jesus, but Jesus is judging him by what he does believe. In the Old Testament, in Moses, in the prophets, in helping the poor, it's all over there. And so he, he, he uses his own standard of judgment. He doesn't even broach the topic that, by the way, the Son of God's standing right in front of you and you're rejecting Him too. You know, but imagine His times with God. I mean, if you're reading the Word and you're in the, the Bible, even in the Old Testament, there's so many things that would compel you to be open-handed towards the poor, to not harden your heart, to, to stick up for the destitute and be there for people in need and the only thing I could think of is he just wasn't reading it. He wasn't spending time with God. 
If you want to get a hard heart, don't spend time with God. You know, we had a group here recently uh, with the guys, and Jake asked all the guys, how's your times with God? That was the whole point of it. And we went around a circle, and it was alarming. One after the next, after the next, after the next. People didn't know what to read. People didn't know what they were studying, what they were working on. They didn't have a word for the year, a word for the month, a word for the day, a word for the weekend. They didn't, there wasn't something that they were changing, that they were studying, that they were praying about. And some people have been Christians for a long time, some people short time, and I just left there thinking like, wow, what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we just playing church? Are we just punching the box that we're at church and we're doing... I mean, it's so easy to read the Bible, to, to work on something. I was, it was so disturbed. It still disturbs me. Are we here just for other people? Are we here to tell people that we went to church? I mean, do we really believe that God is out there and he speaks to us through his word? Or does he, do we just tell ourselves what to do? I mean, is he, are we the chief? Is he the... And I, I just had this thought. I just said, okay, we have so many mediums, so many ways to... You could type in any word search into Google, into Yahoo, into any search engine that you want. You can go to YouTube. So I just did this thing uh, this morning. I said, let me just type in times with God on Google. And the very first entry was this. God's got this morning motivation by Joyce Meyer. It took me five seconds. I clicked on it. It was ten minutes long. And it was amazing. (laughs) That's why I put it up there. If you're struggling in your quiet times, please take a picture of this. It it told you what to do. It told you decisions to make. It gave you a mantra every day. You say, "This this this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it. It told you to go through the spiritual armor of God and claim it. I put on the helmet of salvation. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I put on the belt of truth. I put on the feet fitted with the readiness uh, that comes from the gospel of peace. I put on prayer and I'm ready to go. And I said, there is no excuse to not spend time with God. And I'm not down on you, but sometimes we're waiting for something to happen. And it takes five seconds. And Satan has us paralyzed that we don't know what to study and we don't know what to read. No, you do know what to read. The book, it's right there. Read Jesus. Read the Gospels. You don't know what to read. Read Jesus. Make a decision. And it, go to YouTube and type in any topic you want and put the word Bible after it and you'll get something. And it... it, it, it anyways. Because you know if you don't do that, it doesn't matter what you do. 
You can serve all the poor people from here all the way across the country and it will not do a thing. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. All it takes is a decision, a commitment. I, but I don't feel like it. But I don't, I don't have time. You know, the biggest enemy to my quiet times is right here. Right here. I have my quiet time and I get a beep. I look at the beep. I return the beep. But I need it because there's a Bible search on here, so I really need this. No, you can do that. Why don't you do that before you start and then turn it off and give God. I can't, if you give him 15 minutes without this, it's probably more than what you're doing. In between beeps. Time yourself. I, I, I'm talking about myself, too. I need to turn this off because you guys, it, and it's all your fault. <laughs> All you people texting me, encouraging me. Every morning. Oh, maybe that was important. Oh, it's Martha Sims, another her sending her daily. Hi, Martha. Sending her awesome verse of the day. A simple decision that will change your life. A rich man and a poor man. One's rich in faith and one's not. Point number two. I gotta go. Faith, miracles, and the word of God. This guy blows Jesus blows their mind right here. He said, even if someone raises from the dead, you still won't believe if you don't accept the Bible. Even if Whatever miracle you want to happen, happens. Either you're going to forget it, or you're going to discount it, or you're going to go back to whatever it was you were doing before. If, you're, if the Bible's not enough, then you will never come to faith. If there's not that spirit, and there's a couple of places where they say this. One is right here. Oh, that's not it. Where'd it go? There it is. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Read the Bible, come to faith. Don't read the Bible, don't come to faith. Does it sound simple? It is. That's one of the only places in the Bible that says how to come to faith. From hearing the word of Christ. You can hear it in the sermon. You can hear it in the book. But if you don't hear it, you won't come to faith. And Jesus addresses this as well one time. This teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. That's all he says about it. If you want to have faith... You need to choose to do what I say. And then you'll test it out, and then you'll tell me if it's right or wrong. But if you don't have enough desire to try it out, you'll never come to faith. That's what Jesus says. If you refuse to do it, then you won't, come to him, you won't believe that it's from God. And so he wants that effort. He wants us to seek him. 
He wants us to put ourselves out there to try it out and let him work. Give him an opportunity to work. And I believe at the end of our lives, if we don't have faith, he's going to show you these scriptures and say, well, you didn't read the word. Didn't try it. That's why it didn't work. The problem is not the word. The problem is us. The problem is... Anyway. The rich man says, even if they don't listen to the prophets, they will listen if someone rises from the dead. Jesus said, no, that's an excuse. You're blaming God for your lack of faith. If you do a miracle for me, God, then I'll believe. If you're my genie and I make you do this, then they're going to believe. Jesus says, no, it's not my... I've already done so many miracles in your life and so many miracles in this world and so many miracles, so many prophecies, so many incredible things. Just looking at Jesus is filled with miracle after miracle. I don't need to do another one. Jesus said, no, if you don't have faith, it's on you. Well, that's kind of harsh. That's kind of... No, that's just true. The only person that we can blame for not having faith in this life is ourselves. That's what Jesus said. You got the word. You got enough. You got people around you. You can pray. You can reach out. He promises everyone who seeks me will find me. Every single person who honestly seeks God will find me. So the only way that you won't find God is if you refuse to seek him or you refuse to do what he says. Because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we don't want to do it. Sometimes it's countercultural, it's counter everything, but it works. And that's what Jesus promises. And that was the difference for this man. As we take our communion together, I was reading this this week and it really hit me that sometimes we, we focus, it sounds weird, but sometimes we focus too much on the cross. And now we need to connect with the cross and it's Jesus dying for our sins and everything else. But read this scripture here with me. He says, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. That's the cross. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her, of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So it's like dwelling on the pregnancy versus how much you love your kid. That's what Jesus is saying. We, we need to remember the cross and that he loves us, but remember the resurrected Christ too. I don't think the disciples went around beating themselves up because of the cross. I think they were forgiven, that they got grace, and they went on to live their lives for Christ. And I pray that we can really have that same spirit of, of victory, of faith, of overcoming, of, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but we saw him again. Yes, we killed Jesus, and our sins, we are responsible, but he forgave us. 
And he gives us his spirit to be able to live for him. And I pray that as you uh, take communion today, that you think about your walk with him, that you think about being rich in faith, and you think about where is God leading me to make a difference with my neighbor. Let's pray and we'll take communion. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for the ways that you teach us about what it means to be truly rich. God, help us to have a faith that moves mountains. Help us to recommit ourselves to your word like never before. God, help us to make a difference uh, in our communities and in our church. Help us not to be indifferent and not to have a hard heart. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he laid down his life for us, shedding his body and his blood on the cross. And most of all, thank you for his resurrection, God, that someday you're going to take us home. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.